Mixed Picks podcast the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, we got this email, uh, rad at radradio.com. Steve Mickelson from mixpicks.com, 2Ks in mix, 2Ks in picks, joins us on the Rad Radio Show every Monday and uh, Friday. And right after you were on, Steve, on Monday, we got this nice note from Mike who said, Steve is absolutely an amazing sports analyst. He dissects, analyzes, and clearly explains what each team is or is not doing. He says it like it is, and he doesn't hold back. He is by far the best sports analyst slash commentator that I have heard out there, bar none. Wow. (laughs) I praise, very very thankful for it. Uh, You know, uh, honestly, I'm just another guy who happens to be a sports fan. You know, I I, I like to speak my opinion and and say what I believe. And uh, hopefully I'm knowledgeable enough to uh, answer most and all of the questions. He does touch on why people love listening to you and why people that love this podcast love it. I was I was talking about this on the regular Rad Radio Show. Most of these sports shows, sports podcasts, sports talk shows, they do hot takes and they get in arguments and they yell at each other. And you and I don't do that even if we disagree, which is pretty rare. And and we have, we we do exactly what you and I said we wanted to do. We talk like we're sitting in your living room or we're together at a sports bar, and that's how it should be, and it's relatable. And you do do a great job of not going too far past the, the – too far into inside the game when we're, when we're talking about these things. We, we, got a, we got a lot to do today. I mean, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and for sports fans, it's a big day for football. Let's dive right into it. We're going to start with the San Francisco 49ers. They play tomorrow night against the Seahawks, but they will be without safety. Talanoa Hufanga who for the rest of the season is out after he suffered a torn ACL in his right knee on Sunday. First team All-Pro in 2022, fourth on the team in tackle, Steve, tied for first in interceptions. You have said from the beginning of the season when you predicted the Niners would be in the Super Bowl that as long as they stay healthy, they are the best team. When they lost three in a row, you said they're hurt. They're not just when they get healthy and then they came back and they destroyed the Jaguars, a likely playoff team. This is a big injury. How big is it? And does it question your ability to be right that the Niners go all the way? I still like the 49ers to go all the way. Yes, it it hurts. Anytime you're going to lose a Pro Bowl player, you, you know, that's going to affect your defense. But I think the 49ers defense is strong enough. I mean, they have Pro Bowl players at every level on that defense. Defensive line, linebackers, secondary they may not be the best defense in the NFL, but they're still a top five defense. You know, the players that worry for me, and and believe it or not, it's not Brock Purdy because I believe Sam Darnold can step in and this team can still win the Super Bowl. To, to me, the Christian McCaffrey's, that that's a big loss. The Debo Samuel, we watched them both go down at the same time and, and they were unable to get the job done. You know, Williams left tackle, another big player. He went down also at that time, which really hurt the 49ers. Uh, But for me, Christian McCaffrey could be the biggest player that you got to keep him healthy. I mean, we've watched him score, you know, touchdown virtually every single game since he's become a 49er. Uh, Huffanga, tough loss. But I, I believe the 49ers can overcome it. Yeah, I didn't even spend any time thinking about what would be the worst person to lose. And when you said McCaffrey, I was like, yep, that's the one. I mean, it, it sucked to not have Debo for those few games. You don't want to lose Kittle. But losing one of them, we can we can adapt and overcome. I'm not sure I have the same confidence that Sam Donald can get us there. But, <laughs> but you're right. McCaffrey would be the game changer if he went out. That would be devastating. 
Yeah. And it just, you know, Darnold's an experienced quarterback. He started a lot of games in the NFL. I, I would like to believe that he has learned this 49ers offense could step in. I don't believe he's going to set the world on fire, but again, game manager, don't make the big mistakes. Don't turn the ball over, play smart. You, you, you're going to be required to complete, you know, two or three passes that at big situations during the game. And as long as he can do it, keep moving the chains. I, I think the 49ers, you know, can win with him until he proves me they can't. Uh, now, Steve, uh, uh, the, the Niners won on Sunday. And you lectured me a little bit uh, when we were talking about it on Monday because a win is a win. You always like to say that. Um, I, I watched the whole game. I watched, I try to watch every minute of, of the 49ers games as a, as a fan. Yes, they won. I, I grant you. They, they win. They win. I just didn't think they looked as great as I wanted them to. And, and you did not You did not agree with my, with my analysis of the game. Well, the first thing I would ask you is, do you really expect with everything you do, just any of us in life that you're going to perform at your optimum ability at all times. That's high stress. That's asking a lot. Sometimes you need to have that easy win, sit back. Everything didn't go our way. We still found a way to win. They still won by like 13, 14 points. So it wasn't like it was in the bag. I mean, you watch hall of fame pitchers and they're going to have four or five starts that they just don't have it. I watched it last Sunday, and there were several quarterbacks. Jeff, I mean, Jared Goff was slightly off. There were quarterbacks that just, look, you don't have it. You see it from Patrick Mahomes on occasion. So when you have those games that your team's not clicking at 100% and you still win by double digits, relax. You got this. It's And – you, your team can't play at that level for 17 regular season games at the full optimum. You're going to get tired. You're stressed. It just doesn't work. So you need those easy wins that things aren't going right. Plus you face adversity, which then makes your team stronger because when you hit the adversity in the playoffs, you need to know how to adjust and the things you need to change to fight through that to make your team the best it can be at the end of the season. Okay, okay. You know what? You actually gave me two ways to look at it. One is they went out there without their best stuff. I love the the pitching analogy because you guys, you and I are baseball guys first, uh, and they still were able to win. And that that's that's not easy in the NFL. And and, and the Buccaneers are not a terrible team. I, I like that. I also like the possibility that it's the Buccaneers and any given Sunday, but maybe they weren't at 100%. Like, they were mentally thinking, we can win with 80, 85%. And then that would mean when they play the Eagles, for example, that's 100. And they go, I, okay, mm -hmm. all right, I like that. Now, they're going to play the Seahawks tomorrow night. Now, the Seahawks lost to the Rams last weekend uh, to give the Niners a one-game lead. And uh, during the game, quarterback Geno Smith was injured, uh, although Pete Carroll does say that he believes that he will start tomorrow, Geno Smith. He took a shot to his throwing arm. He did return for a final drive to get the Seahawks in position to attempt a field goal. Apparently, he got hit on the tendon in his triceps. Uh, the helmet hit the back of his arm, so he had a contusion there. Even if Geno Smith is fully healthy tomorrow, it's in Seattle. It's a rivalry game. It's a division game. Uh, Seahawks are trying to get back to first place. Seahawks are much better this season than a lot of us thought they would be. Do they have enough to give the Niners a run? I don't think they do. I, I still really question the health of Geno Smith. Even on that last drive, it wasn't like he was driving the ball downfield. 
there was a little air under the ball, uh, not a whole lot of zip. He's going to play. I, I believe he's going to play, but you got to ask the question, especially after watching last week with Joe Burrow come off the bus in a soft cast. Ugh. You know, how honest is the NFL being about these player injuries? You know, are they kind of come out? And I'll be honest, if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm not telling the Fort, hey, look, you know, Smith's <laughs> going to start, but he's going to be at 60%, you know, so he's not really healthy. He can't drive the ball, so don't worry about getting beat over the top. I'm not saying any of that. I want the 49ers to believe he's 100%. But then you add in DK Metcalf, one of the, the a better wide receiver in the league. They're starting running back Kenneth uh, Walker the third. He is questionable for the game. So even if they play, these are big injuries on that team. I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to 100% healthy. If they were 100% healthy, I I like the Seahawks to cover in this game. I just don't believe they are. What is the spread, by the way? We're looking at, at uh, seven on this game. Niners by seven? Y yeah, wow. it, it opened six and a half, seven. Um, do you like those? You know, what, do you like those more or less when you have the even number as compared to like six and a half or seven and a half? Which one makes you go, oh, I like that more? Or is there no science to it for you like that? See, I fall into the... I don't mind the, the solid numbers. Yes, you don't lose. It's a push. You know, there are those people who like to buy off of that because they don't want to tie. They they want to win the game. You know, they view the ties like kissing your sister type of thing. <laughs> they want the excitement. To me, I always like to get to a solid number, you know, so at least if it falls on that number, I'm not losing my bet. I still get my bet back and it takes another number in order to beat me. So I'm a big fan of trying to be on a solid number for most all of my plays. By the way, I try, I try to prepare and anticipate for everything I might uh, uh, want to ask you or we might think of. And, and so I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't, I can't find it right here really quickly. Do you know who Geno Smith's backup is? Uh, off. I want to say it's Drew Locke. All right, I'll double check. I'm almost positive it's Drew Locke. Uh, that game is tomorrow night. It's at 520 on NBC. Right before that game, the uh, the Dallas Cowboys, they always host a Thanksgiving game. And we also got news this week that 30 years after he coached the Dallas Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson is going into the team's ring of honor. That's the, uh, the ring that goes around uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington, honors former players, coaches, and club officials who uh, have made outstanding contributions to the Dallas Cowboys football organization. In total right now, there are 20 players, two executives, and one head coach, a guy named Tom Landry. On December 30th, Jimmy Johnson will become the 24th member of the Cowboys Ring of Honor. This has long been a source of controversy that Jimmy Johnson wasn't in the, the Ring of Honor. Um, and there's, there's always been this confusion over what was that relationship really like between Jimmy Johnson and, uh, and Jerry Jones, the owner. You, Steve, I think have said, and I, and I agree, if Jimmy Johnson would have stayed, the Cowboys might have won five Super Bowls uh, with, with, with that team in, in that decade. Now, Johnson today... Or, or these days, in fact, earlier this week, he said, we never really had a disagreement. People don't understand the relationship, and that's surprising to a lot of people. Who knows? You know, he, maybe he's being polite now. Maybe he said that because he's 80 years old. He wants to get into the ring of the honor. I, I, but this, he, this is, this is uh, far overdue for Jimmy Johnson. Uh, far overdue. I mean, it's been 30 years. He should have been in the ring of honor at least 20 years ago. I understand when he left and he went to the Dolphins. Look, you're not going to put a guy in the ring of honor. He's coaching another team. And and as you said, there was some questions on how he left. I still contend, and this gets into 
my belief, it was about the egos. They may not have disagreed. They may not have had big arguments. I still think the breakup was over Jerry Jones's issue with Jimmy Johnson got all the credit. It was Jimmy Johnson's team. He's the one who built it. And just sitting back and, you know, watching Jerry Jones for all these years, he was the owner. He He's the architect. He's the one who's their general manager now. He calls all the shots. He wants that attention. He believed he earned that and should have had that. And the fact that it all went to Jimmy Johnson, I think, really irked Jerry Jones. And I think that was the rift that grew between the two because Jerry Jones had a hard time giving that credit to Jimmy Johnson. And another example, going to a different team, they say part of the reason that, and I say Al Davis went crazy, I mean, was Marcus Allen. It had always been the Raiders and everything about the Raiders. Marcus Allen having played college football at USC and then being the star running back for the Raiders became the Raiders. He was getting bigger than the Raiders at the time, and Al Davis could not handle it. He wanted to get rid of Marcus Allen because of that fact. He ended up shipping him off. You know, well, he got benched as they brought in Bo Jackson, shipped him off to Kansas City. And you have to understand with these owners, I mean, they have big egos too. It's not just the players. They own the team. They feel they should get full credit. And to me, that's two franchises that I thought were perfect examples of owners who really felt they should have gotten a lot more credit for their success and uh, couldn't handle it when it was going to someone else. So this season with their milk toast coach, Mike McCarthy, uh, the Cowboys, I love the way you frame it. They're they're making a living this year off beating up tomato cans. They're just playing terrible teams and, and beating the hell out of them like the Panthers and the Giants. And it seems to me like this is what we got tomorrow. Uh, the game is at 1.30 on uh, CBS. Uh, there was this little There was this little window of time this season where there was some whispers that were the, did the Washington Commanders figure it out? Do, do, do they have a chance to get to the playoffs? And now the answer is a, a steadfast no. Uh, and so what do you see with the Commanders at the Cowboys tomorrow? It, yeah, again, this is one of those games. I think the Cowboys want to make another statement. They want to go out and win big. I think my disappointment is, is they're beating up these so-called tomato cans, you know, not very good teams, but you still watch them. They're passing late in the fourth quarter. They're not easing up at all. And and I know the theory is, look, we're going to run our offense. It's your job to stop it. But you do see a lot of teams that start going conservative when they have a big lead late in the game. And the Cowboys just don't seem to have been doing that at all. You know, as we see, to me, the big surprise that jumped out at me is when you look at the stats, quarterback Sam Howell, like, leads the league in attempted passes. I believe he may be leading the league in yardage as well because this team throws the ball 70% of the time. And, I mean, Sam Howell leading the NFL in, in, you know, passing yards, you wouldn't have put him in the top eight if you just asked a normal fan, hey, who do you think, you know, Patrick Mahomes is of the world, uh, et cetera. You're not coming up with Sam Howell. <laughs> now, let's let's look at the, the Cowboys just a little bit. They are America's team, after all. Uh, so their wins this year, uh, the Giants, the Jets, the Patriots, it's a who's who of terrible teams, uh, the Chargers, the Rams, the Giants, the Panthers. They lost to the Eagles. They lost to the Niners. They lost to the Cardinals. Can't forget that one. 
So they play the Commanders tomorrow, but we're really going to find out what they're made of to finish the season because this is that time of the year they people start to get beat up. It's it's a long season, and boy, do these guys hurt. And they got to finish up. Next week, they host the Seahawks. Then they host the Eagles. Then they go to Buffalo. Then they go to Miami, and then they host the Lions. That is a serious finish to this schedule for the Cowboys. We're going to know real quick, like week 14 or 15, if they're for real. Absolutely. And if the Cowboys have a way of running that schedule, let's say they finish the season, you know, going seven and zero or something like that. I-, I would sit there and say, you know what? The Cowboys might be the best team in the NFL because these are games against quality opponents. They're going to be high pressure. You're going to have to perform at your optimum level in order to win these games, especially in, you know, five straight games of playing serious playoff contenders. We're going to find out. I, I'm still not sold that they're that good, but we will know going into this. I, I, I have Detroit and Dallas to me. They are my third. And I don't know which one's better. I honestly believe the Lions are a little bit better yes. for the third place. I, I think the Niners are the best team. I think the Eagles in the NFC, the Eagles are second. And, and I think the Lions and or Cowboys, I put the Lions third, the Cowboys fourth, but if the Cowboys can go through that five-game stretch, you know, four and one, believe me, I'll be saying they're better than the Lions. Uh, Washington is at Dallas tomorrow, one thirty on CBS. We're going to go back to the Niners. They play at 520 tomorrow. If you're listening live, you can email us anytime, rad at radradio.com. John says, hey, Steve, I hope if needed, Sam Darnold would be able to win games. But reality is he has sucked everywhere he's been. And with how Brock Purdy is playing, I don't think Sam could just step in and do the same. Brock Purdy's not a game manager. You ever seen a game manager play like Purdy? Purdy has been incredible. He, he, you know, the things I've said about him, he's very smart. He can read defenses. Uh, he doesn't make the simple mistakes. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo won games with the 49ers, and, and that's the things you'll hear him say. I said it all the Look, he just found ways to win. But, Rob, if you remember when Garoppolo was first with the 49ers, we would always comment about how he throws that stupid interception. Oh, oh my gosh. Painful. Every game he'd have this one throw that you would just sit back and say, what is he thinking? That was one of the worst throws I've seen. He had no chance to complete it. It was intercepted. And the beauty of Brock Purdy, he doesn't make those mistakes. He doesn't ever really throw the ball and you go, oof, what was the thought on that one? I'd love to see the game film because I don't think, you know, there was any way in the world he could have completed that pass. Purdy doesn't make those mistakes. He knows what he's doing. And and he and does, the, he does, and the thing that the Purdy does do is he does somehow also complete passes that you're amazed that he got he threaded the needle. So it's like he's he's walking that line, but he just knows when to throw and when not to. Absolutely. And you know, the 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 problem I have with Brock Purdy is just he doesn't have the physical ability of some of these other quarterbacks. That's all. That's not a bad thing. I don't think Drew Brees did either. And we watched Drew Brees go on and have a Hall of Fame career. So I think he can be very good, but I don't think Brock Purdy will ever be an elite quarterback in the league because he's just not big enough, strong enough, throw the ball far enough type of quarterback. But it doesn't mean he can't be effective. And you didn't – I didn't hear you say it, uh, so I just wanted to confirm. You didn't call him a game manager, right? He's a, he's a, he's a notch above a game manager but will never be elite. I would agree with that. He, he, correct. And, and – to me, game managers are, I don't have the ability, and I just can't make a mistake. Brock Purdy has shown he can go out and win games when he has to. we got to bring the team back from down. He can find a way 
to, to bring him back. So he is definitely more than a game manager. He's just not an elite quarterback. All right, I'm going to take you back in time, Steve. John F. Kennedy is the president of the United States. I'm not even alive. The average price of gas is 31 cents a gallon. West Side Story has won the Oscar for Best Picture. Johnny Carson has just started as host of The Tonight Show. Dr. No, the first James Bond film, has been released. And the number one song in America is Big Girls Don't Cry. That would be November of 1962, the last time your Detroit Lions were 8-2. and two. And that is the second best record in the NFL, only behind the Philadelphia Eagles. And you weren't even alive then, were you? Was not even alive at that point. That That's why I'm enjoying this season so much. I've never seen it. I, I mean, this is as good as it gets. And and I'm sure if you, you know, those who have listened, I have said over and over again, the Lions have won one playoff game. We're not talking a Super Bowl. We're talking one playoff game in my lifetime. And I'm not a young spring chicken here. So the, the fact that they're having this kind of season to me, I am finally enjoying it. And, you know, I haven't changed. I'm still waiting for the big letdown, <laughs> you know, because that always seems to happen. But you know what? Let's enjoy it while it lasts. And, and hopefully, you know, we get, well, I believe they're going to get into the playoffs, you know, as they should win their division. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if they won their first round game. You know, I'm not expecting anything past that but i will tell you if they lose in the first round of the playoffs they'll be very disappointed um now i don't expect the big letdown i mean nobody will expect the big letdown that's why we call it that tomorrow um uh, they host the early game against the packers now the packers were going the wrong way and then they they won the lottery and they got to play the chargers uh and uh jordan love had his best game ever but jordan love the quarterback is a guy the general manager of the packers literally won't even say out loud that they're they're committed to I, i'm not sure that 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 he saved his future or that i i give the packers much of a chance tomorrow yeah i, I struggle with jordan love Th there are times you watch him and he makes throws and like wow that was incredible <laughs> very few quarterbacks in the nfl can complete that pass but the majority of the time you sit there and go that was a layup that that was a short easy you know seven yard pass i can complete and he can't complete it. His accuracy just isn't there. And, and that's one of the things I don't think you can coach accuracy into a quarterback's ability. I think you either have that touch or you don't have the touch. And, and I don't believe Jordan Love does. So where at moments he looks great to me, he's a quarterback I would call a coach killer. You, you know, we see those guys that, oh, he could be so good. I can coach him into this and I can make him an elite quarterback. And he just he doesn't have it. And and the fact that he had his best game ever against the Chargers brings us to what has to be, uh, because you were expecting it to happen by Monday morning at 8 a.m., and I just double-checked. It still hasn't happened. How does Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, who ex-NFL coach Rex Ryan said he needs to go back to the to the Division Three, how does he still have a job? Uh, I honestly don't know. To, to me, that was a must-win game. We watched him score on the last five possessions a touchdown against the Lion and still lose. We watched him go into Green Bay. Jordan Love, who to me is a bottom NFL starting quarterback, I, I think he's a backup at best. He should not be starting in the league. Goes out. They allow him to have his best game of his career to, to me, it's just it's just awful. I, I, Staley's got to get fired. Uh, back to the Packers and Lions with the early game, 930 on Fox. Is this basically a uh, the Lions name their their score game? 
I, I, I would hope so. I, I'd be disappointed. You know, I could see Justin Fields last week, and we watched it. Justin Fields can make things happen on the field. If you can't contain him, he's a good enough throwing quarterback to move the ball, so he's he's a pretty good passing quarterback, and he can run. I, I mean, he's big. He's strong. When you just allow him to have those runs to keep the defenses honest, that offense becomes difficult to, to cover. It's just the built, the Bears don't have that much talent, so – I'm glad the Lions found a way to come back and win because in all my life, they've never, you know, you're down like that. Hey, look, game over. We might score a touchdown to cut it to one score, but they've never found a way to go out and win it. They did. And like the opening week to the Chiefs when they went into Kansas City, won that game, and then they came home against the Seahawks and found a way to lose. I really hope they don't have that let down and overlook the Packers here and allow the Packers to even be competitive in this game. How much are the Lions favored by? They're favored by seven and a half right now. That's coverable. I think they should be doubled. Well, oh. I'm saying if they win by anything less than double digits, I'd be disappointed. Um, so we did all that talk about the Packers. It is still hard to hear the Packers and not think of uh, Aaron Rodgers, who has been threatening to come back. Uh, and uh, he said earlier this week he'll be back at practice in two weeks with the Jets. The Jets are benching Zach Wilson, uh, and they are they are also saying out loud, the Jets are, they're going after Rodgers' favorite receiver, Devontae Adams, in the offseason. Uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, says he'll have three weeks to prepare once he returns to practice for the December 24th game against the Washington Commanders. He turns 40 in two weeks, Aaron Rodgers does. With all of that said, Steve, and with Tim Boyle, the starting quarterback against the Dolphins this week, and Trevor Simeon being Tim Boyle's backup as they dump Wilson down to number three, why even have Aaron Rodgers play? It, 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 they're looking forward to, towards next year. They're going to go get his favorite receiver ever if they can. The, the Raiders have to be up to, to trade him and everything, which everybody believes that's all about where what direction the Raiders are going. And they're clearly looking towards next season. Is it even worth – I mean, I know it's hard to say no to Aaron Rodgers. He's one of the most important, biggest stars ever in the NFL. And I know he's got a big ego, but I, I, is that worth it? I, I don't see it happening because oh, for me, God. for Aaron Rodgers to play, the Jets have to be in contention. I, I don't I don't see that happening. I mean, we're looking at Tim Boyle, and as you said, Zach Wilson not only isn't the backup, they've demoted him to third string. So at this point, you gotta view it as Zach Wilson's not coming back. We've seen the Trevor Simeon, you know, disaster in Denver, et cetera. So it's not like he's ever gonna lead the Jets to many victories. And Tim Boyle a smart backup quarterback, but he is definitely a backup at best. He's not a starting quarterback in this league. So when the Jets go and lose the next two or three games on top of it, they're out of playoff contention. I just don't see Aaron Rodgers coming back because, as you said, what's the point? If they found a way to go 2-1 and one in their next three, hey, okay, I can see it. But I just don't think it's realistic. If they went 2-1, and one, they would be sitting at 6-7. and seven. Uh, so yeah, they technically still would be in contention. Um, by the way, so they're, they're, that's going to be tough because they're they're playing uh, the Dolphins. I think they're in New York, but they're in New Jersey rather. They're playing the Dolphins, and they're playing them on Friday. Now, as a, as a fan, I think this is great. I know you're not a fan of Thursday night football in general. Thanksgiving, I think, is different because it's a tradition. But the Thursday night games, the short week, we don't usually get great games. Um, Black Friday, you know, a lot of people are home and and off. 
are, I, I'm excited they're starting this tradition. Are you, are you good with a Black Friday game? I still struggle a bit to it because normally there's still like 15 college football games on that Friday because they try to showcase college the end of the season, give these teams exposure. They usually keep the big rivalries. So you'll see the Washington, Washington States, Oregon, Oregon State. So you really see the teams and their big rivalries matching up in this because this is the last, you know, segment before we really go into the bowl games. The following week are the conference championship games, but this is that last opportunity for teams to save their season, improve their bowl position. And the NFL to me is just showing that they're a big business. It's all about the money. They always seem to respect college football in the past, but this to me is just saying, you know what? We're the NFL. You work around us. We're going to do what we want. And, and that's my problem with it. I love having the games every day of the week. If it's up to me, we'd see it all the time because, you know, football is where it's at. But it, it to me, it's a little disrespectful to the college football game. Yeah, and they do, they do always wait until well after the college season has ended and we're close to the, the holidays to add in the Saturday games. Um, and I did just check there are 14 NCAA uh, a football game scheduled on uh, Friday. By the way, that game, uh, Miami at New York, is uh, Pacific time on at uh, noon, and it's on Amazon Prime, so Al Michaels gets another horrible game to call uh, as his luck continues. Uh, speaking of, we're talking about uh, Zach Wilson. Speaking of quarterbacks being benched, Mac Jones knows how that feels. He's uh, got it again. Uh, Belichick benched him late in the uh, fourth quarter of the team's Week 10 loss to the Colts. They're coming off their bye weekend, and now Belichick has said, I'll let you know on Sunday who's going to be the starting quarterback. Um, the clown show in New England continues. Yeah, I think the players know who's starting on Sunday. They just don't want you know the Giants to know here. If you watch the end of that Patriots game, I mean, Mac Jones, just an awful, awful throw. You know, they're in the red zone. They're going in for a score to take the lead in the game. He gets intercepted in the end zone on a ball he never should have thrown in that direction. Uh, and, you know, they got the ball back a little under two minutes, and they put Zappy in. So you knew at that point, you know, Belichick, I don't even want to see Mac Jones. Put him at the end of the bench. He's not going out there. And, and if you're going to do that with less than two minutes, take a guy cold off the bench, who probably hasn't thrown a football in four hours since pregame warmups, and you're going to throw him in and expect him to go 85 yards on a drive to win the game. That's so unrealistic, but that just shows where Mac Jones was with Belichick. So to me, I don't think Mac Jones comes back in. Don't be surprised. I believe the third string quarterback is Will Greer. Yep. So don't be surprised if Will Greer gets some playing time going out through the rest of the season. So I think we're more likely to see Greer than Mac Jones. We've, we've talked about this before, Steve, from the sports betting angle. How do you approach a game like the Patriots and the Giants, two horrible teams playing one another? Do you take a look? Absolutely, because I think there's that, uh, that desire to win, that competitiveness. You know, are they still playing for anything, even if it's just pride? Uh so I, I like to look at those games and those various things when I look at it and, and man, who was it? I think it was the jets Patriots like years and years and years ago, the loser got the number one pick in the draft and you go into that game and it's like both teams. We already know want to lose. They're not trying. They'd go to punt 
and they would literally get the ball, hold it. Okay, nobody's even rushing. Yeah, I guess I need to punt the ball. Okay, and kick it. Uh, so games like that, no, stay away from, don't even consider. But you just got to look at, is there more motivation for one team than the other to really try to win, you know, for pride or or whatever it is, or if it's that we're flat out tanking and we don't care. So, so if it's if it's for pride, then it would be the Giants this weekend, right? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I'd want to be in a Bill Belichick locker room if, if they're not trying in any way. That that would be really kind of ugly. The, the Giants, you got to believe they're trying to salvage something out of the season, but they're just not good. It, it just, no. you know, DeVito at quarterback, is, <laughs> he, he's, oh, man. It, it, it's not pretty watching this offense. No. Uh, now, speaking of, of the Patriots, uh, even though he retired with the Buccaneers, you still think of Tom Brady, who uh, is not impressed with the current level of play in the NFL. He's making headlines today, even though he did this uh, interview on Monday. Uh, he said, there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. The coaching isn't as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. I don't think the schemes are as good as they were. He's been out of the game for a year. Before the point he makes about the rules, just in terms of the level of play, do you agree with him? I understand where he's going with it. Um, with all the rule changes, I mean, you're limited on how many practices you can have. You're limited in the amount of practices you can have with pads on. Uh, it's kind of like everything's a walkthrough and we don't really have contact. You need to be going at full speed. You need to have these things. You know, the NFL put in to save on concussions. You can't go in high. So now they're going in low. Now they're complaining about knee injuries because you're telling all the defenders you got to tackle low because if you go in high, you're going to get a flag. I mean, it's kind of like they're making the defense tackle within like a two-foot radius. You can have just below the belt to basically, you know, the rib cages is where you have to attack everything. And, oh, by the way, you can't fall on the – the person you tackled, because if you put your weight on the person, when you tackle them, then that's a flag. I mean, Rob, you played football. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine trying to make a tackle and knowing that I can't land on the guy, I got to bring him down, but I can't land on him because, well, that's a penalty too. Yeah, no. And, and, and so the point, the point there is you can't actually separate the two. You can't say, Oh, the, the play isn't as good. Oh, and I'm going to talk about the rules later because what I hear Steve, uh, Tom Brady saying, and you agreeing with, is because of all the rule limi limitations, it's making the play what it is. He, and he did specifically bemoan the rule changes that are designed to protect players from injury, which a lot of people find ironic since everybody thought he was the golden boy who was ultimately always protected uh, by the refs. He said, quote, you hear coaches complaining about their own player being tackled and not, necess and not necessarily. Why don't they talk about their players having to protect themselves. Quote, offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to a defensive player to protect an offensive player. A de defensive player needs to protect himself. A lot of the way that the rules have come into play have allowed this. You can essentially play carefree, and then if anyone hits you hard, there's a penalty. I mean, he's almost given up his secret. That is, that is the second half of Brady's career. Oh, absolutely. And I think it was last year he talked about how he makes throws now because it's now legal in the NFL, and he knows his receiver's aren't going to get hurt. He's like early on in his career, I'm not going to throw that ball across the middle because I run the risk of losing my wide receiver for several games. That thought no longer enters his mind. And that's wrong. I, I mean, that's part of taking that part of the game away that anybody 
who hits anybody hard. It's a potential flag. We all live for the big hit. I mean, we love seeing it. Sports Center puts it on. That's like the lead story of every game when they have a huge hit like that. But it's gotten to the point now, if it happens to your team, the second you see it, oh, is there going to be a flag for unnecessary roughness, hitting a defenseless receiver, going in high? So now we watch the big hits, and if it's against your team, you're hoping for a flag because, well, hey, that was a big hit. There's got to be something wrong because that's the mentality we've gone to as the game the game's a physical game there's always been injuries it's gonna happen now then there's the added wrinkle that the nfl has rolled out a few times this year already sometimes the flag isn't thrown and the player is still later penalized and there is this fine line between this rule is too restrictive and dirty hits and uh they're so you know focused on injuries and things like that so there we had a few stories uh, this week denver broncos safety kareem jackson was suspended without pay for four games for repeated violations of safety rules, the result of his first tackle since he had returned from another suspension. He lowered his helmet and he hit Minnesota Vikings quarterback Joshua Dobbs less than two minutes into Sunday's 21-20 Broncos win. He's a 14-year veteran fifth uh, in his fifth season with the Broncos. He wasn't penalized on the play, which I found surprising because usually you hit a quarterback with your helmet, that flag's coming out, but he still got the suspension. Yeah, th this is interesting. He has a target on his back. Anybody who thinks he doesn't, I, I mean, he has that reputation now. So every tackle he's going to make, they're going to be looking at it. It's kind of a shame that he hasn't fully caught on yet. Look, raise your head. Don't lead with your helmet. But, you know, he's played in the league a long time. It's what he's used to. And and uh, I, I question how long he's going to continue playing in the NFL because the, the suspensions are just going to get bigger and longer. And, uh, you know, if you haven't figured it out that you need to raise your helmet, then that's another issue. And again, I understand the player safety, but, you know, we're getting calls now. The guy's hitting them, you know, inadvertently with his helmet, but he's making a tackle into the shoulder pad. It slides off the shoulder pad, kind of grazes the quarterback's helmet or the player's helmet. And ah, uh, helmet to helmet, here's the flag. I just, you know, these are tough to watch as a fan. You, you kind of, it's becoming more difficult because now as sports betting is becoming such a major part of it, the NFL's rigged. You see these questions come up all the time now. Anything that's questionable brings up the, oh, well, Vegas knows or it's rigged. And, you know, just like I keep saying for baseball, I think at a certain point we need to get the technology involved in this just to slow these questioning on whether or not the game is rigged. You need to slow these things down because it's really going to just get worse if they don't do it. All right, so talking about uh, certain types of tackles that are banned or should be banned, uh, we got an email, red at radreader.com from Adam, and I already had the story ready to go, and, and fans are talking about it. A lot of people are talking about it on social media. Uh, says, Rob, I was wondering what you and Steve think about the hip drop tackle and the talk of banning it. This tackle seems to be injuring a lot of players lately, like Mark Andrews with the Ravens, recently the Florida State quarterback Jordan Travis. My understanding is that the hip drop is that the defender is encircling, tackling the runner, and then swinging their weight and falling on the side of their leg. That is basically it. It's back to what you were talking about. All your weight coming down, specifically on the legs of the players. He says, I just don't know how you legislate this out of the game. They talked about it 
the NFL's competition committee pushed for action on it last spring in the name of safety, which drew rebuke from defensive players, coaches, and the NFL Players Association. Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach Todd Bowles did not favor a ban. He says, quote, it's hard to tell somebody how to tackle. The angles are different. The speed is different. Don't tackle high. Don't tackle low. Don't hip drop. Where does it stop? What? What? Does that fall under the heading of your initial diatribe of, look, you can't come down to this little two-inch part of the rib cage um, or, and, and then the weight drop, and, and we got to let these guys play? You got to let them play. I mean, this to me is a classic example. I can't hit high. I'm going to give a concussion. I can't hit low. I'm going to take out the knees. I can't wrap them up around the waist and use my momentum as I'm falling or whatever to grab the person, turn and, and bring them to the ground. We're going to get to the point you're shooting at the rib cage. Oh, well, guess what? You got broken ribs now. So, you know, because that's where the impact is on all the tackles. Well, we can't do that because we don't want broken ribs. It's just, Accept the fact that there is violence in the game. Take out the dirty tackles. I'm not a fan of the horse collar. I don't believe you should be able to reach inside the shoulder pads from a player behind and rip them down to the ground from behind. I don't believe you should be able to launch using your head to lead. Whenever I see a, a defensive back or a defensive player, like leave the ground in a catapult towards the, that player to me, that is a player looking to hurt the other player with an unnecessary big hip. But as far as critiquing just how you tackle, I, I mean, I was a little guy. You know, <laughs> the thing I used to do was I would grab the player around the legs and I would roll. Yep. As long as I held onto the legs, I don't care how big you are, you're going to go down because I'm rolling and you're going to lose your balance. You know, oh, that might cause knee injuries, so we can't do that anymore. Just let them play. How, how do you feel about the fact that in the backdrop of everything you just listed, it is legal, though, to pull a guy down by his hair? Well, that's on the player. If you're going to have that long a hair and you're going to let it hang out, it, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to wear earrings and somehow your ear gets exposed and somebody rips that earring out of your ear, that's on you. So, I, I mean, put your hair up, whatever you need to do. Don't grow it as long. And, and but if you're gonna wear hair out of your helmet, to me it's free game. I mean, you knew, you know it is it is allowed. So if, if we bring together the uh, the injuries and the sports betting thing, you, you you alluded to Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow, who's out for the season now. Uh, he's got a, a torn ligament in his right wrist, landed on it following a hit, and checked out of the game Sunday. He did not uh, return, and then the story broke that he was seen wearing a wrist brace earlier in the week but he was not listed on the team's injured list. Dave Portnoy uh, of Barstool Sports, who, whatever you think of him, he's a brilliant marketer, and he knows how to stay in the news. And whether this is a gimmick or not, I, he has an interesting point with, as you said, what are we up to? How many states is sports betting legally now? Uh, I want to say 34. So Portnoy is saying he's going to file a, uh, a class action lawsuit against the Bengals in the NFL. Whether he does it or not, whether it's just to get in, you know, a headline for a day, his point might be something that has to be looked at. He placed a $120,000 bet on the Bengals Thursday to either win or lose by less than four points. He could have won $229,000 on that. The game resulted in a 34-20 win in the favor of the Baltimore Ravens. And Portnor says, I'm filing a class action lawsuit against the Bengals and the NFL for lying about the injury report. There is no way I put a hundred grand on the Bengals if I know Joe Burrow is injured going into the game. Doesn't he have a point, or at least something has to be looked into here? 
he he has a point and his knowledge with barstool sports um the, the, to me this is a lot uh farther beneath the surface than than the way it's appearing to the casual fan understand that the you watch all of these different data feeds and teams that sign contracts with these nfl teams and and nba major league baseball etc but the thing that they're not really talking about is there's that so-called integrity fee in a sense is what they're asking for the nfl is going to be fully and upfront honest with these these teams and these leagues helping provide a data feed which feeds into real-time stats and everything else and for that these leagues get compensated so they get a portion of you know bets being made as far as right and you know that's been the big cry from the leagues is we have to protect the integrity we have to protect the integrity and for doing this you need to pay us a portion of all of these sports bets well the problem is the integrity is not there from the leagues they want a cut of the action but i watched the florida panthers playing the stanley cup and we find out this guy had a dislocated shoulder and he was playing this guy had a leg injury and he was playing so if you knew the florida panthers were as injured as they had and they had like four star players who were not healthy and could barely skate playing you would have been all over the vegas golden knights in the stanley cup but they hid that fact you know, LeBron James several years ago in the finals broke his hand in the game one of the NBA finals. They end up getting beat. I think they got swept. They may have won one game, but I think they got swept. And then you find out right afterwards, oh, LeBron James has a broken hand, but they never said anything, you know, after game one when he broke it. So these leagues are purposely hiding information. And I understand it because you don't want your opponent to understand the health of your team and this is why hey the patriots haven't announced who their starter is yet pete carroll's going oh i i want geno smith most likely he's gonna play and all that stuff because they don't want the opposing teams to prepare in that sense but how can the league then be basically charging an integrity fee that we are going to be upfront and honest with everyone because we are also involved in providing the information and then not provide it but yet they want the fee and the money because it's a big business and, and to me i think that's more where portney is going with this than hey i'm a better and you didn't give me the information i think he's hitting more at the heart of the, the problem and uh, isn't fully allowed to you know, explain it in more detail. I'm, I'm trying to figure out though where the where the line is and what the solution is because you touched on. First of all, I I understand what you mean. Like the league is vouching for this stuff, but we don't know if it's the league or if it's the teams that are withholding some of this information. You gave great examples. That you don't want the other team to know LeBron James has a hurt hand. Basketball is a rough sport. People don't realize that. You don't want people to know that your quarterback might have bruised ribs if you don't have to tell them because the other players are going to target it. And what you care about as a team is I want to win. So ultimately, Correct. through all of this, what's the solution? Well, this is where the conflict is. The league is saying they're going to be upfront and honest and need to reveal all injuries at all times, no matter how insignificant it might be. And if you remember, Bill Belichick for many years would put per virtually every <laughs> player on his roster on the injury report because, one, you didn't know which one were true. But, you know, hey, look, this guy has a hangnail. 
I'm putting it on there. It may or may not affect his play, but I'm going to go the other route. And Belichick would, would get in trouble in a sense because they're like, oh, well, you're making a mockery of our injury report because you only need to be putting like real injuries on it. But from his standpoint, why do I want my opponent to know how serious any of my injuries are? I don't want them to know. I want them to have to prepare their team as if we're 100% healthy. So this is a conflict between the leagues and the teams. Mm -hmm. But again, the leagues want the money. So they say, this is what we're going to do. But how do you hold the teams, you know, accountable to ensure that everything they say is accurate so uh, the Bengals. Uh, we were talking about the Bengals with joe burrow they host the steelers this weekend and we got an email uh, red at radradio.com from juan who says i'm a steelers fan so i hate to say it but i'm happy that matt canada was fired from his offensive coordinator position it's a start his offense had simple schemes and predictable calls to stay true to the steelers identity and the fact that they have two dogs for running backs they should have run the ball consistently and relied on the strong defense to help out the quarterback as for the quarterback my faith in Kenny Pickett is fading. Barely throwing for 100 yards is unacceptable in the NFL, but I can't tell if it was the scheme, the quarterback, or a weak offensive line. And I'm even starting to lose faith in Mike Tomlin. Hmm. In your opinion, how can the Steelers fix their issues? It's been a sad period since Big Ben left. Pittsburgh 6-4. and four. They have a negative point differential and have been outgained in every game this season. Uh, head coach Mike Tomlin says the decision to fire Matt Canada was entirely his idea. I don't. I don't lose faith in faith in Mike Tomlin because I think he's one of the five best coaches in the NFL. Easily, I'm not sure this fixes the Steelers' problems. Uh, but what do you make of what's going on in Pittsburgh? And Kenny Pickett is he the quarterback of the future? Uh, I don't think Kenny Pickett's the quarterback of the future. I, I do believe that Mike Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the NFL. You watch it. They should never be six and four. I mean, they were six and three until they lost last week to the Browns. As you mentioned, they've been outgained in every single game. To me, this is a message to Kenny Pickett. Look, I, I can't bench you. I'm not ready to bench you, but I'm going to fire your offensive coordinator to say, if you can't turn things around and start doing what we expect from you and being a decent quarterback, your days in Pittsburgh are numbered. So I view it as more of a message indirectly to Pickett. I think Pickett hopefully got it. He's got to do something, but it's hard to bench him. He, he's a hometown hero. I mean, he went to Pitt. Now he's playing for the Steelers. I, I mean, he is really, I got to believe, loved in that area, but he's not playing good football. What's he got? Six touchdowns in 10 games? I, I mean, oh my gosh, we, we watched Peyton Manning against the Lions throw seven touchdowns on a Thanksgiving day alone, and this guy's got six in 10 games. That's awful. That, uh, that that Peyton Manning memory seared into your brain as a Lions fan? Is that? Uh, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of, and, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but like OJ Simpson uh, with the Buffalo Bills on one Thanksgiving set the individual single <laughs> game rushing record. I want to say he rushed for 272 yards. Oh. And don't quote me on it. I mean, we're going back into my childhood here. Uh, so there, there are, and then I think Walter Payton later broke OJ Simpson's single game rushing record on Thanksgiving. Um, so yes, there, there's a lot of memorable <laughs> Thanksgiving day games out there for me. This, uh, this Steelers matchup Sunday, this is an interesting game. It's on 10 a.m. On, on Sunday. So the Steelers, they, they go on the road. They fired their, their offensive coordinator. Kenny Pickett, you say, has got to step up. They're going into Cincinnati. They don't have Joe Burrow. Usually I would just say, oh, Steelers. But 
Is it that simple? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of, uh, uh, you know, Jake Browning's going to be the backup with the Bengals, so he's now the starting quarterback. Yes. I, I'm not sold that he's going to be any good. If you're a Bengals fan, you're trying to stay competitive. I just don't think realistically they really have, you know, a playoff shot here. Maybe they do, but it's questionable there. But Kenny Pickett, if he gets the message, I think the Steelers can go on the road and win in Cincinnati. These games are always close. These divisional AFC Northern games, uh, Steelers defense has been playing really well. Bengals offensive line is suspect to the pass rush and can give up sacks. To me, it's a toss-up game. It's like, which quarterback is the bigger evil to me? So you're staying away from it? Oh, absolutely. I I wouldn't touch this game for anything. (laughs) So as long as we're going through injuries, uh, it was mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about the the hip uh, tackle thing. uh, uh, Florida State's quarterback Jordan Travis carted off after a run that ended with part of his lower body bent the wrong way. Uh, That's the end of Florida State season, right? Yeah. well, you would think so, but if they find a way to continue to win, they're, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be undefeated. I mean, they're 11-0 and right now. Um, I haven't looked at their schedule on what exactly they have coming up. You know, they're, they're going to get to the ACC championship game, and I'm not sure who exactly they're going to be playing, but they continue to win, even if it's not big. I believe they're still going to make the playoffs. They'll be the four seed, uh, but – you know, I just, it's, it's a shame the tackle, but you know what? The NFL didn't go change rules when Joe Theismann, you know, was tackled on Monday night and we watched his leg go the wrong way, which is one of the most gruesome tackles I've ever seen. I just, I don't think you can go and overreact and just, we're going to change the rules because we watched this and you know, it was pretty ugly. Um, by the way, I mentioned the ranking. So, so you think if Florida state finds a way to win out, they'll they're, they're currently fifth after yesterday's, uh, uh, drop that they're the team that'll jump up to number four because either Ohio state or Michigan's got to go out. We think. And you, so you like Florida state to be able to slide into that spot. If Florida state can run the table and and I can give you arguments both ways, but Ohio state or Michigan's going to have a loss. So by rights that should drop that team to fifth behind Florida state, Washington, Georgia, and whoever wins that game between the two. So that team should drop to fifth. Do you penalize Florida State because their quarterback got hurt late in the season and everything they did go, well, you're not the same team, so we're going to kick you out of the playoffs even though you haven't lost a game and put this team in the playoffs because they lost, you know, in that game? That's that's a hard argument to, to ask. Now, if you're looking at who's the better team, but that's not what we're looking at. If you're asking who's the better team, Michigan and Ohio State should both be in the playoffs regardless of who wins on Saturday because I believe both of those teams are two of the four best teams in college football. So if Florida State, first of all, since the CFP panel has been created, we're back to the same thing in a different way. We are just talking about with the NFL. There's politics. They're, they're, they, they, you know they're saying, yeah, but do we want Florida State in the playoffs because it's not as compelling because their quarterback isn't there? Let's say Florida State doesn't win out. Who else do you like in the top 10 to slide into that number four spot? Or, or I know you want you, – it sounds like you want Ohio State and Michigan to stay in the, in the top four, they, and that may happen, but you got a bunch of undefeated teams in theory 
that might have a shot. It, well, for Florida State to not go, I believe they have to lose. So at, at that point, if you're putting them in there with a loss, you know, Michigan and Ohio State, one of them is going to have a loss too. You're going to put Michigan or Ohio State ahead of them. So to me, those two do get in because you're going to look at a Florida State that has a loss. Your undefeated teams will be the winner of that game, Georgia and uh, uh, Washington, if Washington remains and goes undefeated and wins the Pac-12 championship game. But how do you penalize if they both have a loss? Ohio State, Michigan, that's two versus three. I believe that's going to be the two highest ranked teams facing off against each other that has been played the entire year. How do you throw out the loser of that game unless they get blown out? One of the teams wins 48 to three. Hey, okay, I can see it. But let's say that final score is 28-27 or or you know, something like that. And the team kicks a field goal in the last play of the game to win the game. How do you penalize either team? Unless there's four undefeated teams that need to go. So I'm going to meet you halfway on this because you're being logical and you're analyzing it purely from a sports perspective. Let's add in that politics thing. And, and we're, we're in the boardroom with the CFP panel and they're looking at it from, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Steve. That's, that's a, that's a good argument. Now we're going to talk about entertainment value. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about bringing eyes into the game. And so we're going to meet you halfway, Steve. We're going to, you're right. That's a great argument. Ohio state, Michigan, uh, yeah, they're, they're, we're gonna we're gonna keep them in the, uh, with Georgia, but that number four team, um, yeah, we don't really like your argument about number four team, and we got two big schools out there that are in the top ten, the Texas Longhorns, Alabama Crimson Tide. They bring a lot of eyeballs to the screens and a lot of attention, and I think those are the kind of conversations that they have based on reporting and and things that kind of kind of sneak out. I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but they do talk about it a little bit. I agree. I, I think they talk about it more than a little bit. I, I think at the end of the day, if you really want to honestly look at it, this is a business as well. The The goal is to get the biggest viewership, get the games that the fans are the most interested in, not necessarily, you know, who are the best teams or they have the best record. So they need to go. Um, these are all factors I believe play heavily into it, but Ohio State, Michigan, the part that Michigan's favored. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite, but yet Ohio State's ranked two, Michigan's ranked three. So does that really mean Ohio State's a better team than Michigan because they're the two? And I would tell you no, because if you look at the point spreads, those are always factors that come into it, and you can use the argument it's in Michigan, it's on the road, it's tough to win on the road in Michigan, so that's where the three-and-a-half is. They're closer to tied. But there is so many politics, I believe, that go into these polls. The, the part that shocks me is Alabama sitting at eight uh, with their one loss, which came early on in the season. That, that, to me, because Alabama, again, has that huge following, as Texas does. I question how Oregon, unless Oregon beats Washington, how, do, how does Oregon actually sit ahead of those teams because I just don't think Oregon has the following. They're a big program, but I don't think they have the following of a Texas or Alabama or are even close. So if you're looking at viewership and fans watching, Oregon's got to drop a little below those two teams. So uh, viewership and fans watching. There'll be a lot of that Saturday morning at 9 a.m. on Fox, the game of the weekend. Uh, 
What do you see? Harbaugh won't be on the sidelines, but that doesn't take away the talent. You got the Ohio State at Michigan. What's going to happen? Yeah, I think Michigan's going to try to play this game as physical as they can play it. They have arguably one of the best offensive lines in college football. They have talent at the skill positions. You watch them, I mean, against Penn State, they ran the ball, I think, the last 34 plays of the game and just said, look, you can't stop us. We're going to run the clock. We're going to dominate this game. Ohio State over the last few years has become much more of a finesse team. They have arguably one of the best wide receiving cores in the country. Marvin Harrison Jr., the son of Marvin Harrison, the all Hall of Famer wide receiver with the Colts. His son is arguably the best wide receiver in college football. So you got to look at McCord is going to be throwing the ball. Ohio State can't run it like they have in the past. And I, I just would find it hard to believe Michigan isn't prepared for that. Look, they got to find a way, shut down Marvin Harrison. And if you can do that successfully, Ohio State's going to have a tough time moving the ball. And again, tough to win on the road. I'm wearing my Michigan, which I will tell you historically, because I'm not superstitious about anything other than sports and my teams. And when I wear my team's colors, uh, usually it means they lose. But oh. keep, in mind, keep in mind who my teams are and how they <laughs> tend to always be heartbroken. Uh, I, I'm hoping for Michigan. I still think it's wrong with what exactly happened with Jim Harbaugh, but I respect the decision. Um, it's just such a shame because this is the best Michigan team under the Harbaugh era and Michigan's won the last two against Ohio state. I'm really not sure they can win a third one, but I will be rooting for them. And this will be another heartbreak because this is the best team Michigan's had in my lifetime, I believe. And if they go down and, and lose to Ohio state, believe me, I'm going to be sitting there going, Thanks, Big Ten. Way to take Harbaugh out of the picture. Back to you, uh, your heartbreaking teams. Pretty impressive, Steve. On November 20th of 1977. Uh, no, wait, that's wrong. I've got the wrong line here. November 25th of 1976, Buffalo Bills at the Detroit Lions. O.J. Simpson, 273 rushing yards for your Thanksgiving memory. It's pretty good. Uh, the Lions, by the way, on every list that I found, whether it's ESPN, USA Today, Sports Illustrated, they're in the top five. Uh, in the power rankings. They seem to be split with the Eagles or the Niners at number one. I think a lot of people argue you can't – the Eagles have to be number one because of their record, although I think you and I both put the Niners ahead of the Eagles. These are NFL power rankings. It's kind of like Eagles and or Niners, then Chiefs, then Lions, then Ravens. I'm not sure I'd have the Ravens in there. Uh, but what, But uh, uh, do you have any do you have any quarrels with that? No, not really. But, you know, taking that argument – we watched the Ravens destroy the Lions uh, in the power ranking. I mean, the Lions were never in that game at any time. How do you have the Lions ranked higher in your power ratings than the Ravens? I think the Ravens have some issues. They've shown that tendency to lose double-digit leads, you know, into the fourth quarter, which you got to figure out how to solve that. Uh, but the Ravens team's a pretty good team, and and I would have the Ravens ahead of the Lions in that I, I – my – power ratings i would go the 49ers one the eagles two i would still go the chiefs three just because it's patrick mahomes mm -hmm. and, and i know he, they're really struggling in the second half their defense is the best defense they've had in several years they just got to figure out how to get that offense but patrick mahomes is such a good quarterback he finds ways to win uh 
So then I would probably go Ravens four. I'd go Lions five and Cowboys six. All right. Now, I, I initially was thinking Lions three, but you make a great point. Not only Mahomes, Andy Reid. Um, and that, and that, man, that brings us to the Monday night game that the Chiefs lost to the Eagles. The Chiefs, and I, I think this is the Eagles as well. They're two great teams that I just, it's not, it doesn't seem like when I watch them, they're clicking on all of their cylinders. Like they can't put quite everything together. And with the, the Chiefs, they've got this, this problem with their, with their receivers catching the ball uh, to the point where Patrick Mahomes had to come out and, and, and say publicly, I got to do a better job of, of completing the passes. They've, they've, they've dropped like 9% of the passes, which is the highest in the, uh, the NFL, highest percentage of catchable passes that they've dropped. It just feels like the Chiefs haven't gotten there yet, but with Mahomes and Reed, they can at, at any time. Yeah, and that and that's where I I keep saying I believe they need another wide receiver. They weren't able to go out. They got McCole Hardman, who knows the system. He had gone off to the Jets, and he's back with the team. But they just don't. They've really missed a, a talented wide receiver since Tyreek Hill left and went to the Dolphins. You know, it's not a case of Patrick Mahomes is so good he can make any wide receiver look good. You still got to be able to catch the ball. I, I believe in the. Uh, the second half of the Monday night game, the Chiefs had something like five drop passes. There was like three drop passes on the last drive. You can't win games if your receivers can't hold on to the ball. Patrick Mahomes, class act. I, I mean, I respect him so much. Came out and said, hey, look, you know, on, on the, the deep ball that the receiver went off his hands, should have had it, said, hey, I could have thrown that just a little bit shorter, you know, so he could have caught it. So he took the blame, but Come on, wide receivers get paid to catch the football. That's their job. If you can't catch the ball, then why are you in the NFL? <laughs> and, and I know they're not going to catch everything. A shortstop's not going to go the whole season without making an error. It's just, it really seems the drops are an issue in Kansas City. Now, they go into the, the Chiefs do Sunday at 1.30 into Las Vegas to play the Raiders, and it's really easy to, to go, oh, well, that's a get-well game. But... It's a rivalry. It's a division game. Vegas is at home, and the Raiders do have a new attitude with uh, Josh McDaniels gone. Is it is it possible that the Chiefs look past the Raiders and that this becomes a, a, a real matchup for them? I don't think they have the room to look past the Raiders here. If Josh McDaniels is still coaching this team, yeah, this is a layup. <laughs> Chiefs need to go out. They may, need to make a statement. Raiders aren't there. But Antonio Pierce has really changed the attitude on this team. I, I've enjoyed watching the Raiders play the last, you know, several games. Last week, an impossible task. There, there was no chance they should have even been in the game against the Dolphins on paper. But yet, they had every opportunity and had a chance to win that game. They forced three turnovers. Uh, there was the missed field goal attempt by the Dolphins. Raiders were in it the whole game long, even though they don't match up on paper. And that's the part the Chiefs can't take the Raiders lightly because the attitude that this team has right now, I, I like it. And, and if they, you know, Antonio Pierce is playing for that head coaching job. If he can continue to keep them, they don't have to win every game, but playing hard to the end of the game, not quitting, being in it, even at the, late in the season when it doesn't matter what happens. And that's one of the things I look at Dan Campbell with the Lions. The, the first year with the Lions, 
they were awful. I want, I want to say they went like three and 13, something like that. And I don't have the record, but they were in every single game through the thing. They didn't throw the towel in and say, let's go get our draft pick. Let's go. And uh, you know, let's just give up on the season. They were in every game playing hard. And that's one of the things I see with the Raiders. Now that Antonio Pierce is there, I no longer think they're a train wreck. I, I think their train wreck came from their head coach in Josh McDaniels. So I, I would love to see the Raiders keep it close, but if I'm the chiefs, I don't ease up. This is a statement game. I need to win this game by like 25 to 30 to let the league know, Hey, look, we're fixing our issues. We really are the team that you expect us to be. You were spot on again. Uh, the uh, Lions in 2021, Dan Campbell's first season were 313 and one. The Chiefs are coming off a uh, Monday night loss in the Super Bowl rematch to the Eagles, who even the players after the game said, yeah, it's great we won, but we're, we're still not there. We're still not where we want to be. Um, and uh, they are, they, they're, they're going to host the uh, Bills, who seem to be kind of fumbling along like a, like a rhino that's been shot with a, a tranquilizer dart. Uh, this season, it's a good it's a good matchup on paper. It's in uh, Philadelphia. It seems like this this is a game that Philadelphia should win, even though the Bills have a lot of talent. Yeah, there's a couple different ways to look at this. Yes, the Eagles and, and I agree. They just haven't looked to be in sync the entire season long. They're still nine and one in the best records in the NFL. Just think if they played to the ability that we've all been expecting and looked as good as they would. They, they should have, in our opinions, this team would be undefeated and we'd be talking about them being hands down the best team in the NFL. But again, it's tough to go out and play at that high level week in and week out. You got to have some easy layups that you can take the time off. And, and where I give the Eagles credit, they find ways to win. Look, if we got to run the ball 45 times in this game to win, that's what we're going to do. It's not about looking pretty. It's about W's at the end of the game. You, you take the Bills. We've all written the Bills off again. Look, they just can't get it done. No running game. They can't stop the run when they run right at them on defense. The Bills go and win the next three games, and, and they play the, what is it, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and I think the Chiefs. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who the third one is in there, but the the Bills' next three games are uh, are going to be tough. If they find a way to go 3-0 and in that span, we're going to be talking about them again. Eagles, Chiefs, and Cowboys for the <laughs> next three. They go 3-0. and Guess what? The Bills launch themselves back up to one of the favorites in the AFC. Their, their Super Bowl odds are going to drop again. And, uh, oh, Josh Allen, you know, they're going to – everyone's going to fall back in love with the bills well, and, because and, they showed they could win those games. Especially after, if, if, if it comes the way you're, you're talking, the Eagles, Chiefs, and Cowboys run, then they go to the Chargers and they host the Patriots. So at that point, it's, you're looking at it like, whoa, they've only – and then they finish the season at Miami. That, that, you're right. Everybody was saying, there they are. They're the best team in the AFC again. Right. I, I mean, they, they could finish it up and be, you know, 12 and five, having won their last seven games of the season. If they run the table and everyone's going to be, Oh, yep. There they are. As you said, they're the best team in the AFC and, and here we go again. So it just kind of shows how different portions of the season, you know, you gotta be playing well in December, January. That's the key. You're for these teams that you know you're going to make the playoffs, and and I'm not saying the Bills know they're going to make the playoffs. 
because they've dug a pretty big hole. But like Kansas City, you're just trying to figure things out. You're trying to make your team better through the course of the season. So when it comes time and it all matters, one, you're able to fire on all cylinders, but everybody's on the same page working towards that same goal and you're playing solid football collectively as a team. That's your end game goal. You want to be playing great in January and into February. Now, from just a purely fan standpoint, not a sports betting standpoint, when I was looking at the schedule uh, for this weekend, the game that kind of jumped out at me was the two teams that were pronounced dead early this season who are both on the rise. The Cleveland Browns, who Deshaun Watson's out, their quarterback uh, is out. And and the Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson, it was like, ah, you got to get rid of him. He's dead. He's, he's washed up. He and Sean Payton hate each other. Both these teams are back in are back in the the mix. I think this is a very compelling matchup. Uh, it, it is, and it shouldn't be. Deshaun Watson's <laughs> out for Cleveland. I mean, we're looking at uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson as as the quarterback. They did find a way to win last week against the Steelers, but their offense did absolutely nothing until the last. Well, I shouldn't say that. They had a good. I believe it was opening drive. They scored early, and then they had a good last drive. Did absolutely nothing in between. They were just lucky to be playing Kenny Pickett, who was just as awful as the Browns quarterback. So they got away. And the Broncos, everyone is getting on the Broncos. And Sean Payton came in, new defensive scheme, new defensive coordinator. Hey, what's wrong with Russell Wilson? If you look at Russell Wilson's stats, uh, going into last week, I think he had 18 touchdowns, only four interceptions. The defense in the last month or so has been playing so much better than what they had early on in the season. I mean, no team should ever give up 70 in an NFL game, but they got to learn the defense. They had to learn new schemes. They had to learn to play together. Again, you throw September out. And from that point on, Denver's defense is playing much, much better. They're, they've actually become one of the better defenses in the league. And, uh, you know, to me, this is a game that's sitting right around Pickham. I like the Broncos a little bit in this game because I definitely feel they have the better quarterback. But Cleveland's team is all about they have the best defense in the NFL. Hands down, the Browns are the best defense in the NFL. It's just can their offense score anything? And I'm not sure they're going to score enough. You know, Denver could win this four field goals to three, 12 to nine or something like that. And uh, it, it's not going to be a pretty game to watch, but I like the Broncos a little bit in this game. Are there any games we haven't touched on that from a betting angle, whether it's overall, the, the spread, the cover, that we haven't talked about that you're going, oh, yeah, that's that's one I'm, I'm liking? Well, I can tell you right now, I, I'm looking at the Jags. They're a one-and-a-half-point favorite at the Houston Texans. I think everyone's getting caught into the Houston Texans and what CJ Stroud has done. CJ Stroud has been amazing. He he really has. He is playing as an elite quarterback in this league and it's his rookie season. He has zero talent around him. He doesn't have great wide receivers. His running game is pretty much non-existent. The defense is average at best and yet he's finding ways to win. He's throwing every game for over 300 yards. I just think the Jags are a much better team. You're playing for that division now. I know it's on the road, but you're saying a pick em game. There's no way you're going to tell me the Jags and the Texans are pick em. I, I, I just, the Jags roster top to bottom is superior than the Texans. And, and yes, CJ Stroud is, is playing 
fantastic football, but you got Trevor Lawrence on the other side. I, I mean, it's not like he's a bad quarterback. He's considered one of the up and coming soon to be elite quarterbacks in the game. So to me, I, I like the Jags in this spot. I just, I view it going, eh, they're not picking teams here. Uh, and so that's one of the games I'm looking at. I, I'm, I am caught up in the Texans thing. I, I freely admit it. Uh, C.J. Stroud, and also I have a man crush on D'Amico Ryans, the head coach, from his time with the Niners and what he's done. Uh, whether he was with the Niners or not, I would be going, what did you do to this team that was the worst thing in the NFL? Um, I don't even know who I'm, who I'm picking in the in the game. Uh, we, we, we made our picks earlier in the week. Because it is, a, to me, without points, it is a pick em. It's like I could see either game, either team winning. But from a sports betting angle, I see what you're, what you're saying, that uh, it's, it's hard to imagine – because uh, even though they're on the road, the Jaguars uh, shouldn't be favored. Yeah, and I, I just really think, you know, the media and everyone's getting caught up in the Texans. I, I think their value's being inflated here. I really don't think they're that good of a team. So to me, I always like to look at trying to find value. That That's the goal behind this. You know, a lot of times you're not necessarily looking at the teams. You're looking at more of the numbers. You want those key numbers in those games that you think can be competitive. And I just view it, Jags, Texans, basically pick them. Who's the better team? Hands down to me, the Jags are the better team. So let's wrap up with a, a little, uh, some, some, a few things focused on where you are right now, Las Vegas. Uh, you have it in your rearview mirror now. We don't do a lot of rearview mirror stuff on, on the, this podcast, but uh, <laughs> you've had to live with the preparation for the Formula One race for months down there. Uh, you've, uh, you and I have talked a few times about the traffic, the inconvenience, et cetera. And then it, it goes off last weekend. Uh, and it does not go well. Uh, the lead up to it, all the news coming out was bad. Uh, the um, uh, they had to cancel some practices. Uh, they did it at ten o'clock at night local time, so the East Coast didn't see it. It was so expensive. Local businesses didn't fare well uh, from it. They, I think you told me they have a a ten year contract to continue doing yeah. these in, in Vegas. They turned the strip into the into the track. Um, it is all the negative media coverage of it warranted i think a good amount of the negative is warranted um i feel bad for the businesses because Oof. anyone who lived locally like myself you avoided the strip like the plague i, I mean it, it's not worth the hassle of trying to get in and out of there you know the workers that have to work there the headaches of trying to get to it and basically the last week they shut the whole area down. So now you're, you got to figure out how you can get bus service or something like that. Cause you can't really drive to the properties, but going to the positives, Las Vegas is doing a great job. And I believe they want to be known as the city, you know, of champions with everything. They now have a formula one race. They have a NASCAR race. We got a pro football team, a pro hockey team, they're bringing in a pro baseball team. I mean, this is the sports capital of the world. <laughs> and in that sense, you got to give Vegas credit. I, I mean, it used to be taboo several years ago because of the sports betting. And they've really turned that around. And they want to make it the sports capital of the world. And, and, and to do that, they need to do things like that, even though it's very inconvenient for everyone. Um, but you know what? They they have everything here, and well, it's a great place. This is the thing. I, I love Vegas, and uh, I don't know what it's like to live there, but I love going there. And they're already the entertainment capital of, I would say, the world, certainly of, of the country. And now they're adding in 
sports. And I, I wonder how much of it, I don't know if there's any local background you have, Steve, but this Formula One thing, how much of it is Vegas and how much of it was Formula One? And and it was the first year they did it. They, they will get better. I mean, Vegas just opened up the Sphere, which is a worldwide phenomenon for uh, for concerts and events and shows already. Um, and it just feels to me like Vegas does everything right. Okay, maybe they didn't do this one perfect the first time, but I wonder if, if this is where the, the Vegas Smarties step in and go to Formula One and go, okay, here's everything we did wrong, and this is how, how we're going to fix it next year. Oh, I, I would be stunned if they didn't do that. And the Formula One opens it up worldwide. It, it's not just, you know, the United States. Everyone in the United States already knows, hey, look, for that weekend, or as you said, the entertainment capital of the world, they got, you know, as many fine restaurants as there are in any city in this country. But why is it at 10 o'clock at night? Because it's not set for the U.S. market. This oh. is set for the international market. And that's where Vegas wants to establish themselves as the world leader in sports. And to do that, that's why the race was at night. And you bring in Formula One because there is such a huge appeal worldwide for that as opposed to just the united states now you alluded to uh the uh the owners of major league baseball and commissioner rob manfred who have completed the mission uh, if you will of uh, oakland a's owner john fisher they did this a week ago tomorrow when they voted unanimously to allow the a's to relocate to las vegas oakland is now on the verge of losing all three of its major professional sports teams in a span of five years from the sports angle, I know there's a lot of local politics and, and various things, but from the sports angle, it's like Oakland, come on. The Oakland Coliseum is the worst venue in the country. It literally leaks sewage. That is not an urban legend. It is the stadium of my youth. And even then, in the late 80s, it was starting to be outdated. They were starting to build things like Camden Yards in Baltimore. And it, it, the fact that they're still playing baseball in it and that they've had decades to work something out, I it. It sucks for a guy who grew up in the East Bay area to see Oakland lose everything. I mean, the only good news is at least the Warriors only went across the Bay. Um, the, this this is a done deal, first of all, correct? And and it's hard to argue against it happening. I, I believe it is a done deal. I, I don't really feel sorry for the city of Oakland because they've had years and years and years to fix this. They've chose to ignore it and or not fix the problem. You know, if this was something that came out of the blue, like like the St. Louis Rams moving to L.A., whoa, hold it a second. You know, we've won a, a Super Bowl. We've supported your team. The games are sold out. I don't understand why you're moving it. It was an owner's selfish interest is what moved the Rams from St. Louis to L.A. And he's the owner, and he has that right. And the NFL needed a team in LA because they hadn't had them, you know, since the Rams left and the Raiders left, but Oakland, no excuse for the city. I, I don't believe so. It's hard. You know, I, I, I wish I could feel sorry for them, but man, this isn't something that happened overnight. You've had 40 years to fix the problem and you chose not to. So here's this weird vortex that the A's are in. Now they have no idea where they're going to play. Uh, their Coliseum lease expires after next season the smart money right now is that they'll play in oakland next year which i just find that almost i'm overusing this word it's almost creepy it's like this death season for a's fans if they stay in oakland and and everybody knows they're leaving what were they averaging like three thousand fans i think it was more than that this this season um so there's that 
And then there's what do they do between now and 2028, which is when the projected stadium in Las Vegas will be done, which is, which is three years that they have to figure out where to play. There's a rumor that the A's might approach Oakland about extending the lease. Oh, please. You're, you're going to stay until 2028 in Oakland, and then with everybody knowing you're going to jump to Vegas. I know a lot of, a lot of people were initially saying they'd, they'd play at UNLV or, or they've got the minor league park in, in Vegas. Uh, I, I, it seems like they should just figure out somewhere in Vegas. And I believe Major League Baseball has to be heavily involved in this. Uh, if they stay in Oakland, is anyone really going to go? No. I, I mean, no one's going to go. You're going to extend the lease. You know the A's are leaving, so it's not like the city has any hope of retaining them. You're going to be drawing 3,000, 4,000, maybe 5,000 fans a game because if you're an A's fan, you're upset with the city. You're upset with the team because they're leaving. So why should I support them when I already know they're going away? If they come and they play in you know, a minor league stadium, understand they're minor league stadiums. They're not major league ready. So they're going to have to sink money. Does major league baseball sink that money to help them be, bring the stadium up to code as a major league stadium, or does the team have to do it? And if I'm the A's, why am I remodeling a minor league stadium? <laughs> and they've mentioned here in Vegas, and they've also mentioned in Salt Lake city and playing their games there, but why am I investing what? all this money? Yes, Salt Lake City is one of the minor league parks <laughs> they're talking about. But why am I investing this money in the ballpark? Yes, I need a place to play. So I think MLB will be very involved in where it is. I'm hoping they play in Vegas. To me, that's the most logical spot play where the aviators play right now. You know, maybe you grow the stadium a little bit. You bring it up to code. But if they're going to play here, you got to believe, okay, they can draw eight, 9,000 fans, not much. But as my wife said, don't you think the ticket prices are going to be like a hundred bucks a seat? And isn't that better than basically giving away three to 5,000 seats in Oakland? Because I don't think anybody in Oakland's really going to want to pay it. So why not just have that major league baseball knows you're not going to make money. So I'm sure there's going to be revenue generating in that. Here, we're going to share some of this revenue with you because you're on hard times until you move into your stadium. But just make the clean move, go to Las Vegas, play in a small ballpark, and then move into the new field, you know, which is going at where the Tropicana's at. Where So the wild card in all of this, under any scenario, if they, if they stay for their final lease as it exists in Oakland next year, back to why nobody's going to go, not only is the team leaving, the team is awful because – the owner, John Fisher, he's the wild card. He has invested no money in this team. Mm -hmm. And he won't if they're in Oakland next year at all. Uh, so there, there won't even be any reason to go to go watch him. That's why I kind of came up with that creepy you know, death season uh, analogy. But what no one knows, and John Fisher does not have a great reputation amongst Major League Baseball. This, the, everybody knows the owners voted unanimously because of the, the, the money grab for all of them. And they want a team in Vegas. And they, they Vegas should have a baseball team. Fine. Is he going to open up his wallet and build a real team? Players will come to Vegas, but you got to pay them. Correct. And they're not playing in Vegas until 2028. So you're not doing anything like that except building your farm system. You've already marked in your calendar, 2028's the next time I need to invest in this team. 
They are going to stink. They're not going to win many games. They're going to get, hopefully build their farm system. So these kids are ready to play when they're ready to move to Las Vegas. You're not spending on free agency because why would you, you're not going to have any draw. So you're never going to make it up in attendance to pay the players. And the part as a Las Vegas resident, the, the one part that irritates me with this is our taxes sorry, are going to go up. They say they're trying to do it in this way or that way. End of the day, we know our taxes are going to go up. But the value of the Oakland Athletics today is, let's just say it's a billion dollars. And I'm questioning whether or not it is. What's the value of the Oakland Athletics the day they hit Las Vegas? That is going to pretty much at least double in value. So, I'm paying high and higher taxes and the owner doubles his wealth by moving to Las Vegas. He's not giving any of that back to me to help pay for my taxes. That's the part that irritates me. Yes. I want the ace here. Cause if anybody's listened to me, that's my retirement job. I want to be an usher <laughs> for the A's when I retire. I want to view it. I want to be the guy in the front that walks down and here your seats here or nope, you're down there. And I get to watch at least half the game. I don't care what they pay me. That's what I want to do when I retire. So I'm glad the A's are coming. I just struggle with the, my taxes go up and the value of the team is going to double. He's the one who makes all the money and I pay for it. You, you now you think, so if the, if the A's, let's say they will we'll keep them in, in Oakland in 2024, just for the, the sake of argument. If the A's move to Vegas and they do the minor league thing in 2025, they're, they're playing in the minor league stadium. You still think he won't start investing in the team? He'll just play for three years and suck in Vegas? Yep. I, I believe his goal end game is going to be 2028. 20, that, that's what we're going to do. We watched the Astros oh. do it for for there. We watched the Astros go like two or three years of losing, I think, 110, 115 games. I think the A's will do the exact same thing because why put a quality product on the field if I'm not going to draw any fans? Why make the investment? And the Astros, the part that nobody talks about, those years that the Astros were awful, they actually made more money during those years than they did the year they won the World Series because they weren't paying anybody. They get a payroll. And and that's my bitch with baseball. We talk about the salary cap and all that other stuff. There needs to be a salary floor. Look, every team needs to invest at least a hundred million or whatever it is mm-hmm. for their roster. And you talk about these middle of the road ball players. Well, I don't want to pay him six, seven, eight million because I can get this kid for five hundred thousand dollars. Well, guess what? If they had to invest a hundred million in their payroll for the season, you would see those guys get the six, seven, eight million dollar contracts. And that's my complaint: is everything is set up to to compensate the stars, but it takes away from that middle class, which is what we see in our society. So put a floor in there. Every team has to pay at least this much in salary, and you will see the teams at least have some quality players on the field. And I don't believe the A's are going to have any quality players on the field for the next three seasons. Steve, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. You got your Lions on in the morning. We got a good matchup on paper with the Niners and Seahawks tomorrow night. Ohio State, your Michigans, uh, the Wolverines on on Saturday. Uh, And I hope you're just able to have a wonderful four days, my man. 
I thank you, and I hope so as well. I'm just hoping on Monday morning I'm not crying. Steve uh, joins us on the Rad Radio Show every Monday uh, and Friday when we're on. Uh, we're not on the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, and we do the Mixed Picks podcast every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. on Rad TV on members.radradio.com. Have a great Thanksgiving. 